Welcome back, friends and fellow philosophers, to this Wild Isle podcast. I'm your host, Marquis Little. Thank you for joining me for this special weekend episode. Uh, this is one that's going to be a little bit shorter today. It's going to be a solo cast, just me talking through uh, some ideas that I've been mulling over for months now. Um, these are in particular relation to my aphorisms. We're going to discuss what stemmed from an aphorism called not only or just, but also. Um, I think this one's going to be useful for all of you out there who want to determine when someone might be deceiving you or deceiving themselves or you and themselves by reducing something down, let's say, within its borders, not extending the consequences of their concepts as far as they should go. But before we get into all of that nonsense, um, I want to send all of you, if you're listening to this, when it comes out on Sunday, it's going to be uh, fairly close to the last day that you can help out with the Kickstarter campaign for Wand Smoke Tales from the Labyrinth. Um, I'm raising money for the book covers. Um, we've been at a low 25%, but maybe it will jump up at the last second and we'll be able to afford to commission uh, real human art covers for these short stories. So if you'd like to help me, go over to wildislelit.org. Um, and there's a big button. Uh, it says Kickstarter campaign underneath it. It's got uh, not human generated images uh, for the little advertisement button. Click on that. Go to the Kickstarter. Um, contributing just $5 gets you on the backer list. You can also contribute um, up to $50 to get all of the story bundles. Um, so essentially you're doing like a pre-order that way. Or if you go all the way to 100, you get all the uh, bundles plus the whole collection in hardback. And for both of those, the bundles and the bundles plus hardcover, I'm going to sign them all. So uh, you can go there at wildislelit.com and help me out. Uh, also, if you are an author yourself and you have a manuscript that you've been working on, but you're not satisfied with the, let's say, quality of the prose, the style of the writing, you can hire me. I am an editor and I run the Wild Isle Style Guide. Um, I take heavy influences both from the old classics and also the pulps as well as modern stuff. Um, and I'm constantly increasing my reading library so that I can help you find the style and the voice that you're looking for. So Go over there at uh, wildisle.com under my editing service to check out the Wild Isle Style Guide. And while you're there, make sure you check out my novel, Wand Smoke Broken. So this is going to be uh, what comes before the short stories I mentioned earlier. It's a weird fantasy fiction novel. Um, it's like an episodic adventure. It reads a little bit like a Western cross with a literary novel. First chapter is available for free for you to read or listen to. Again, on my website, wildislelit.com. Uh, you can also find my podcast there, my blog, um, and this massive list of aphorisms uh, I've been, I don't want to say publishing, but publishing these for a while. Um, really, they are, in a sense, castaway thoughts, but also not castaway, right? So that's what we're really talking about them today. Um, the aphoristic form, for those of you who don't know, that's when you have that quippy little philosophical quote um, where you have a dense idea packaged down into just a few sentences. My influence from this comes from, as many of you listeners would know, the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who very much liked the aphoristic form. Um, 
it wasn't taken very seriously during his time, and still today it's not taken very seriously. You know, what can you really say of any substance in such a short time frame? Is it is it not just, uh, let's say, the eloquent nothings of, uh, let's say, fast talkers? Well, oftentimes it is, to be to be frank, but. There is some value in writing in the aphoristic form. It forces one to, let's say, dispense with all the unnecessities of the thought and to get to the point. It also protects one um, in a sense, right? Because when you're writing in the aphoristic form, for the reader to understand the point that you're making, they actually have to be intelligent enough to read it. What I've found is that if you try to write out your ideas, the reader, if they are ill-equipped to understand them, but can read enough of the words in the sentences, they will assume they understand something that you haven't written and then will attack you. If you write out an aphorism, oftentimes, if the person is, uh, let's say they don't have the aptitude to, to be polite, they just don't respond. Because they, they, to them, it just it comes off as gibberish. And maybe they just think what you're writing is gibberish. Um, but at the same time, you've now gatekept those types of individuals away. And what kind of individuals might you be interested in gatekeeping away from your philosophy? Well, you're going to find out today. So I'm going to, uh, for you, oh, my listeners, uh, my friends in free spirits, read some of these aphorisms around the concepts of not only or just, but also. That was the originator. Um to give some context, surely, uh, my listeners, you have had a conversation with someone where they've said something along the lines of, well, I'm just trying to X, whatever comes after, like, I'm just trying to help you. I'm just saying um, what I did was just, and then whatever it is that they did. Now, we'll go through these a few of these aphorisms, and we'll see... We'll see whether or not that framework uh, can hold any water. So the original aphorism reads as such. Such reductions as what typically follow the words only, just, merely, and solely are not only erroneous, but are also lies of a particularly and insufferably feminine type. It's a little cutting there. What do I mean by that, right? So uh, I'm sure people will be jumping down my throat that I use the word feminine here to describe it. What I mean here is that this is a passive form of lying, right? It is a retraction or a reduction rather than uh, to state something that is directly false. What has happened is the claim has been artificially constrained, right? Um, we're going to read through a few more of these, and we'll we'll see if this starts to make sense before I go out and explain it, right? So that was not only or just, but also the very first one. The next one was more than merely, and it reads as such. It has been said, but it can never be said enough. This shall be my contribution to philosophy. Nothing is just anything. Nothing is merely or only, but is always also something else, not just, but also. Let that become a poisoned rapier and chalice against muc uh, sorry, mookish reductionists. 
there you see that uh, play on reductionism again. And um, if you're familiar with the aphorism babble mook, that word mook will make sense. What I mean by that is an unconscious liar. What is an unconscious liar? It's someone who is saying something that they know to be untrue. But in the moment that they're saying it, they're not thinking really about anything they are feeling. Uh, in another podcast, I think I'll talk about this, the uh, when the serpent speaks, the fluttering of the forked tongue, that is a hydra of a multitude of lies that defend more and more lies. When someone does not realize that they are merely babbling uh, what feels right in the moment. Um, when I hear someone do this, I just think whispering and in their ears, a little demon, pathos, 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 as opposed to logos, right? Because the logic or the idea that there is a truth uh, which can mediate two individuals is gone. It goes to pure subjectivity. But now we're going down a different rabbit hole. That was more than merely. By now, you should be able to pick up the idea that to say something is just a thing is to say that it is not also something else. That's what the word means, right? So if I say this is merely this thing or only this thing or just this thing, I'm excluding the possibility that my meaning or the function of a thing or the reality of a thing could include other factors than the ones that I would like it to or that would be expedient to me in that moment, right? Can you can you pick it up, uh, oh, free spirits, my listeners, my friends, fellow philosophers, the error being made? We're going to read a few more that are interconnected, and we'll see if you can kind of pick up on it as we go, and then I'll, I'll do a whole diatribe here at the end. So this next aphorism I want to read is inarticulable nonsense. Articulations are where two things join with proper flexibility to facilitate function. Articulated ideas are those notions likewise joined as to become functional. Therefore, inarticulable ideas are nonsense notions, disjointed and dysfunctional. This one is a little bit, um, I don't want to say technically worded, but worded in such a way that if you're just listening to it for the first time, it, the meaning might uh, be a little bit more cryptic than even I mean it to be. But I'm, I'm playing on the words here, uh, not even playing on them, right? It's, you know, we take for granted that we understand what words mean, but really it's not until you look into the etymology of a word that you see the source from which it came and there is meaning embedded there. So to say articulate, like someone's speaking articulately, um, they're able to, let's say, put all the parts together in such a way as to be understandable and meaningful in their speech. That harkens back to the idea of an articulation, a joint, you know, where two things join together, and the articulation in a structure facilitates whatever function that structure has. Now, when you recognize that articulate speech, or, or better said, an articulated idea, is are really what we're talking about are multiple ideas. So these would be like premises. If you understand syllogistic logic, if you don't, then you don't understand what I'm saying. I'm sorry to say, but you're taking the premises, you're joining them together in such a way that they follow through to a conclusion, right? 
these ideas joined together serve a function to arrive at something that is at least a part of the truth. What that means is if you have an idea and you cannot articulate it, there's a high probability. No, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's just you don't know how to articulate it correctly, and it can be. But there's a high probability that it can't be. And so the conclusion reached is nonsense. And the reason why you can't articulate it out is because it's nonsense. There is no way to follow from the premises to the conclusion that you desire to reach. Reach. We're going to come back to that here soon. Now, before we get to reach, we're going to talk a little bit about conceptual amputees. Okay, I promise this will all make sense when we get to the end. So what is a conceptual amputee? Well, let's find out. So often, a man's failure to grasp an idea is the direct result of his amputating his own appendage. It's just one little finger, he claims. Okay, so here's the connection. That word just came back up. What's happening here? So if we remember from our first two aphorisms, the words just, solely, merely, simply can be used to exclude an idea from thought. Now, we just talked about uh, the articulation of a multitude of ideas, right? So if I exclude either some of the, the notions, some of the ideas, some of the concepts that would lead us to a conclusion, or I exclude the joints to those ideas, I can cut off a thought early before arriving at the conclusion, or I can cut off your thought, right? Or I could cut off my ability to grasp your thought if I'm willing or if I have a habit, if I've been habituated, right? So it's unconscious. It's just something that I do without having to think, right? It's operating at what we might call the axiomatic level. It's an assumption before thought begins, before the you know your frontal neocortex has has to even consider it, right? It's, it's motor adaptation, pre-conscious. I can cut off my ability to understand your thought because I can terminate my thinking about what you're saying to me before you can connect all the ideas together or before I allow you to apply the connections. This is the conceptual amputee. Do you understand? The conceptual amputee is the person who prematurely excludes uh, aspects or, let's say, things, notions that are relevant to a conclusion. Now we get to talk about the reach of inference. It's another aphorism, right? So this is the reach of inference. He with short arms or shortened fingers, and without the mind to imagine what it might be like if his were longer, inevitably fails to grasp all the relevant variables. So let's think about what relevant variables means. We're, we're, we're piling up the ideas here rather quickly, uh, so keep up my friends and fellow philosophers. Short arms, shortened, shortened fingers, right? So someone who is continuously ceasing or terminating their thoughts prematurely, or your thoughts prematurely, has these shortened arms and shortened fingers that cut them off beforehand. Now, once they've done that, 
they've now made it impossible for themselves, at least in the moment, to be willing to go all the way to the conclusions that they would reach. They, they, it, it's this strange self-stumping, right? What, they, what they've done here is, is instead of saying, okay, like if X, then Y, then Z, it's just if X, then Y. And then it says, if nothing could possibly follow, like what, what does it mean if these things are true? They do not even think, not even to ask themselves, but that they don't understand how a conclusion could be related to the premises, which if you know anything about logic is silly. It's absolutely ridiculous, but it's not so silly if you realize that the person with no hands does not think about grabbing things, right? So if one has habitually cut their conceptual hands off or their conceptual fingers off, and they've made that their modus operandi, mode of operation, then of course they're not going to think about coming to conclusions from the uh, premises, from the things that they uh, believe are true. And then, and then what they've done there, they've just destroyed the very concept of relevance. They don't understand what relevance means. And that leads us to our next aphorism. Terminal thoughtlessness. <laughs> yeah. So I have a series of aphorisms called Dead Horses, where I, I just reiterate things I've said before that have been bothering me at that time. So I'll be making reference to it here. But yes, terminal thoughtlessness. Yet another dead horse, another misuse of just merely simply or only. When thinking proves wearying or inconvenient to one's prejudices, he hacks off his own hands, artificially shortening his reach of inference by making himself into a conceptual amputee. So if what I've been saying has not made sense up to this point, it should now. Let me read that again. When thinking proves wearying or inconvenient to one's prejudices, that's that snake I mentioned before, pathos, pathos, pathos being your emotions, your feelings, right? When thinking hurts your feelings, when it, when it places negative emotions upon you, what you might do, what you might have had a habit of doing, maybe you learned it from your parents, maybe you were punished for thinking too much by your parents or the authority figures in your life, or maybe you yourself have had such, let's say, decadent moral and morale taste your whole life that you just can't handle anything that's true. Maybe that's why it is. Who knows, right? But when you find thinking to be too tiring for you or too painful, Maybe you hack your own conceptual hands off. You artificially shorten your ability to make inferences so you're unable to tell what is and is not relevant. And that's how you become a conceptual amputee. Another aphorism, gangrenous conception. The, uh, this is talking more about the motivation. We've covered this a little bit, but uh, like the, uh, the reference to the dead horses, right? It's worth going over again. Gangrenous conception. What causes one to become a conceptual amputee? Often enough, the offending notion festered and threatened to infect the amputee's consciousness. He cuts his thoughts short to save himself from the conclusions of his conscience. Right? It feels bad 
to know things that are true a lot of the time. And people will, without having to think about it, avoid that. There's a, there's another aphorism. I don't have it pulled up, but I will make reference to it. I think it's called not even deception. And in that aphorism, I, I talk about how a wounded animal does not have to understand anything about its wound. All it needs to know is that it feels pain when it moves a wounded leg and it'll just stop moving that leg. It doesn't have to think about not moving that leg. And then very quickly, it'll adapt the rest of its behavior around that wounded leg until um, it happens to notice that it doesn't hurt anymore. And human beings are the same way, not just with physical pain, but also with emotional pain, right? And we, let's say, if we don't know any better, or if we're cowards, often if we are cowards, we experience emotional pain and then we just make a habit of not moving that uh, that wounded limb. And in this case, it's not a limb, but it's like not exercising that mode of thought, not touching those ideas, not reaching for those conclusions. And if we can't bury it, right, if we can't bury our voice of conscience, if we know, if we start to become aware that that's what we're doing, we start to view that as an infection. And it has to be once and for all really cut off. You have to absolutely not let yourself think about that. You have to, uh, let's say, destroy your ability to infer about most things. You uh, take what were before, let's say, consequences of logos, consequences of logic, of honesty, of uh, working through something that was true. And then instead, you just build axioms out of the premises. Pre, uh, I've, I've used that word a couple of times. An axiom is something that you believe before you start thinking. And you have these, right? You assume that you exist. You assume that uh, things outside of you exist, that the universe exists. You assume that you can learn something about the universe to some degree of accuracy, right? You assume that your rationality, your ability to think logically, to come to conclusions, is at least somewhat useful and somewhat accurate, somewhat, uh, let's say, corresponds to reality. Maybe it's not perfect, just like our perception isn't perfect, but you trust it enough. We have these assumptions or we can't be, we can't act in the world. And these are axioms. And you have to make some, but you need to make as few as possible. Because the moment you start adding things as axioms, it disables you from thinking, right? It makes, it ends up being a methodology of making one, one of these conceptual amputees. One more aphorism, friends. Omission of truth. There is a prevalent effeminate rhetorical tactic employed by souls resentful, envious, and jealous. They exclude from her Sorry, they exclude her from the conversation, never comparing their notions to hers, nor their vanity. I'm personifying truth here, so let me read that again. There is a prevalent effeminate rhetorical tactic employed by souls resentful, envious, and jealous. They, referring to those souls, exclude her, the truth, from the conversation, never comparing their notions to hers. So never comparing their subjectivity to the objective truth, nor their vanity. 
This is another reference to those who suffer pain by looking at the truth, right? It's always easier to omit the truth, particularly if one is resentful, envious, or jealous. Because then one doesn't have to look at oneself and notice one's inadequacies. And look, we all have inadequacies. Um, you know, I'm speaking this kind of caustic, judgmental way because I'm, you know, sitting here alone at the desolation of the evening with my emotional regulation all falls out from under me. <laughs> but really, that's what people do. And again, if you are one of those people who are going to complain about my use of the word effeminate, um, I'm, I'm using that. In, well, in this case, I'm using it in a very um, symbolic sense. When you see a group of little girls, how do they torture some other little girl? They exclude her from the social group, right? I'm also using this in the idea that um, where if I was being masculinely dishonest, I would be stating something outright as a lie. But when I just omit the truth, if I just leave it out, if I just don't consider it, right, you, you can see why you would describe that as effeminate, right? It's the, um, in the human case, female tactic, if I wanted to be in this way dishonest. That's the last of the aphorisms I wanted to go through today but let's let's go back to the beginning and remember the pathway how we how we came here not only not just not simply not merely but also nothing is only ever one thing everything is a multitude of things because to that one there there is the objective thing and then there's also all all the various subjects which have different relationships with that thing. And so one thing is always a multitude of things, both to the world objectively, but then also to the individual subjects, not only in their subjectivities, but also sometimes objectively. If that's confusing, think about it this way. Uh, if you know me, you'll know I love peanut butter, right? Uh, that's, you know, and peanut butter is an objective thing. It has objective qualities. And to me, it's, it's delicious. And to someone who's allergic to peanut butter, it is poison and it kills them. So it is different to different people, both subjectively and objectively. Peanut butter is a multitude of things. It's food. Um, it is also poison. It might, uh, I, I don't know, also be something you might use to hide your uh, um, either a child or a pet, usually your pet, right? If you have a dog, you want to give it something. Um, you could just put it in peanut butter like a pill and it just gobbles that all up, right? So it could be a method of disguise, many things. Now, that being the case, you know, when someone says, I was just, I, you know, it is simply, it's only, that person is immediately saying something that's untrue. That person probably does not realize that that's what they're doing, but that is what they're doing. That person is reducing the, reach of inference, right? They are terminating their thoughts prematurely, like a gangrenous limb. But what they're really doing is cutting off their hands. They're cutting off their ability to grasp the conclusions of their own ideas, right? They are protecting themselves from their, their own bad ideas. They're saying something's untrue, and they do not want you to be able to point it out because it's painful, because the untruth that they're saying is probably in itself some means of protecting them.
And that's my lesson for us, friends and fellow philosophers. Be on the lookout. Do not accept when someone says something is only the thing, or just a thing, or merely a thing, or simply a thing. Do not accept when someone reduces a concept down to only what is expedient for their argument, or expedient for their position. Do not let someone make you also into a conceptual amputee. Thank you for listening, friends. If you made it all the way through me ranting through the evening, um, I, again, I say thank you. Uh, I ask that you consider checking out my Kickstarter. Uh, it would really mean a lot to me if you're listening to this on the Sunday of its release. Uh, again, at wildislelit.com for Wand Smoke Tales from the Labyrinth. I worked really hard on these stories. Um, they're, I think really they're my favorite of the Wand Smoke series so far. And I really like to be able to commission real human art to put real covers on these things and then get them to market to you guys. Uh, again, you can hire me as uh, your style guide if you want to sharpen your writing skills over at wildisle.com slash editing. Uh, the other podcasts are on there. You can check out uh, my blog. I blog mostly about philosophy right now, a lot of East Asian philosophy and what we'll be doing for the near future. And, of course, I have my novel, Wand Smoke Broken. Uh, again, the first chapter is available on my website, wildislelit.com. Okay, that is enough shilling for this evening. Thank you, friends. I'll see you next time.